Podcasts. My name is Ian Castleberry. I'm a writer, editor, and podcaster. You can currently find my work at iancastleberry.com, Awful Announcing, Asheville's Mountain Express, and here, you're listening to it, and thank you for doing so. Also, many thanks to those who sent suggestions to alleviate the exercise bike chafing issue that I mentioned last week. That includes my old friend Miko, who recommended a product that I'll try, along with a couple of others. I'll include that in the show notes. Thanks, Miko. I'm just sorry that my under-buttock irritation is what reopened our correspondence. And friend of the podcast, Neil Turritz, also chimed in with some helpful advice. Very much appreciated. I'm grateful that people out there want to help their fellow citizens to avoid chafing. It hurts. But a bit less now. I tried padded bicycle shorts this week and wasn't entirely pleased with the results. No chafing, but... Well, my butt. It wasn't comfortable. Maybe I just need to give up using the bike. Or toughen up my ass. Literally. We're coming in late yet again this week, unfortunately, and we're only going to do one podcast because of it. If there's speculation that this is because of the launch of Disney+, Plus, let me dispel such notions now. Believe it or not, I haven't watched any Disney+, Plus yet. Part of that was because everybody tried to watch it once on Tuesday, and the apps didn't work. I couldn't even log in for a good chunk of the day. So no, I haven't even watched the new Star Wars series, The Mandalorian. Hopefully we can get into that next week. No Star Wars movies, no Marvel movies, no Marvel cartoons, not even some National Geographic for background noise. And certainly no Disney stuff. Nope. But I'll get to it. My nieces are visiting this weekend, so I might show off the new toy with them and put pressure on their mother to sign up. I can't believe she hasn't signed up yet. Those girls adore Disney princesses and Pixar films. It's like $6 a month. So somebody will be watching Disney+. Plus. I doubt the girls will want to watch The Mandalorian. Maybe Captain Marvel? Yeah, probably not. But I might be able to negotiate The Incredibles. Apparently, I still haven't adjusted to having a writing gig again. After getting warmed up last week in my return to Awful Announcing, I felt like I could take some bigger swings this week with some longer form pieces and some opinion. That includes stepping in it a bit with a post I wrote on fired Canadian TV hockey analyst Don Cherry appearing on Tucker Carlson's Fox News show after getting fired for making on-air remarks that were widely viewed as anti-immigrant. And I referred to them as anti-immigrant, which pissed more than a few people off. Look, I'm going to get into this, so if you don't want to hear it, please skip ahead by about five minutes, and thank you for staying with me. But if I lose you, and you end up unsubscribing, I'm sorry that we disagree so vehemently, and that we as a culture can't have adult conversations about the issues that divide us so strongly nowadays. People used to be able to disagree in a civil fashion, but those days appear to be long gone. I don't intend to touch on politics very much here. I get that many of you prefer an escape. I do too. But talking about culture, talking about sports, means that you have to acknowledge the real world sometimes, and current events. That's where these things exist. And that's why the whole idea of telling sports writers, broadcasters, and athletes to stick to sports is misguided. It's impossible to do that and comment with any credibility. And hey, did Cherry stick to sports with what he said? Maybe I should reset this with a clip of Cherry's remarks so you can judge all of this for yourself. Now you go to the small cities and you know, you, you know those, the rows on rows, you people love, you, you they come here, whatever it is, you love our way of life, you love our milk and honey, at least you could pay a couple of bucks for poppies or something like that. These guys pay for your way of life that you enjoy in Canada. These guys paid the, uh, the biggest price. He referred to those he didn't like as you people who come here for our milk and honey. Look, if you don't think what he said was directed at immigrants in Toronto, nothing I say is going to change your mind. And you probably think I'm a leftist liberal clown, which is the level of discourse that was taking place in the awful announcing comments. I know, never read the comments. But I knew what I wrote would rattle some cages, so I read them. Because the keyboard tough guys trying to bully you are assuming you won't read them. 
You know, none of those commenters chose to address me directly, by the way. My Twitter handle is very easy to find there. I had several people at me to tell me that I was wrong to say daylight savings time, not daylight saving time. Yet not one tweet was directed at me about this. Plenty of them insulted me in the awful announcing comments section, though. I suppose I should be grateful, so I don't have to deal with that in my mentions. It's also worth pointing out that Fox News is where Cherry chose to go to defend himself. Sure, Carlson and his producers asked, seeing an opportunity to use what happened with Cherry to call those who took offense as fascists who fake their outrage and have no real feelings. Again, you're apparently going to hear what you want to hear depending on what side of this you're on. But what do you think Carlson and Cherry meant when they talk about how much Canada has changed over the past 40 years? Uh, how much has Canada changed in those 38 years? I think they've changed a lot, but when you get to the smaller cities, uh, they haven't changed at all. They have in Toronto, they have in where I live in Mississauga, Ontario, they have changed. But when you get to the smaller cities, and the United States are the same way, when you yeah. get to the smaller cities, they haven't changed at all. No. I mean, you go up to northern Quebec and the people, I mean, it's, it was that way 50 years ago. It was, and, uh, and uh, you go to the small cities around Ontario, uh, and uh, they haven't changed at all. They still wear their poppies. What's changed a lot? What stayed the same in those smaller cities, which apparently harkens back to a Canada, that Cherry views more affectionately? Is Cherry just referring to national respect for veterans or some sense of community? Those who defend Cherry and disagree with opinions like mine seem to think so. Or... Is he talking about what he sees in metropolitan areas like Toronto and how much the world has changed around him? Cherry's remarks can't be interpreted in a vacuum either, and that's what a lot of his defenders are missing here. He's long railed against European and Russian hockey players coming into professional hockey under the guise of questioning their toughness. He's ranted about kookaloos and left-wing pinkos. He's spoken out against women having access to locker rooms to do their jobs in sports media. Don Cherry was once funny and entertaining with his loud opinions. I used to enjoy him, but that was a long time ago. Now he's just an angry old man, one who no longer has a TV platform to express his views, unless he becomes a recurring guest on Fox News programming. Okay, I appreciate you enduring that with me. The bright side of this is that I provoked a reaction with something I wrote at Awful Announcing. No, I won't be trolling. I won't write something just to get a reaction. The internet is overflowing with that shit, and the editors at Awful Announcing don't want that. But I don't want to play it safe either, and I told myself when I returned that I shouldn't be afraid to express an opinion when I feel strongly about it. I shouldn't be afraid to get a nasty reaction if it's something I believe. If it's well-supported and well-informed, that's where good writing comes from. I'm not saying that Don Cherry Post was good writing for me. I'm just saying that I feel good about it. All right, we'll stick to sports for the next segment here. I did my usual three segments on why sports radio this week. But let's skip Monday's appearance because there wasn't a whole lot of news to comment on. If you want to listen to it, that's great, and I thank you for it. It's available on my blog at castlebloggy.com. That's C-A-S-S-E-L-B-L-O-G-G-Y. I'll include a link in the show notes. So here's Wednesday's baseball hit. Reports of the Houston Astros illegally stealing the opponent's pitch signs were big news and continue to make for some really entertaining tweets. It's juicy stuff. Pat Ryan and I also preview the MLB awards that were announced this week. And Ian Castleberry with the wise guys, of course, our Major League Baseball and NFL go-to guy. We're, we got NFL and lots of it tomorrow, but right now we got lots of uh, cheating to get to uh, in our Major League Baseball update presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. Ian, uh, welcome in. By the way, congratulations. Rumor has it uh, through Facebook that you're uh, back with awful announcing. They, they just couldn't do it without you, could they? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> uh, yeah, couldn't stay away. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, I get to cover some sports media. 
which uh, I, I'd been there for four years prior to leaving for a little while. But yeah, get to cover some stories like rumors that Trey Wingo might be leaving ESPN's morning show. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have the controversy for Don Cherry. And check that out. Awful announcing. And also, Ian brought the podcast back. The podcast is back. Um, and Ian, where can folks pick that up? You can go to thepodcast.com or... Uh, yeah, if you're not uh, sick of hearing me uh, talk here on the radio, uh, you know any uh, podcast provider, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, uh, look for the podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-S. And, uh, yeah, that would be awesome if you subscribed. Check that out. Uh, this is a really talented guy. We're getting, uh, we're getting into it right now, Ian. First off, former Astros pitcher Mike Friars, who now is with the A's said that the team used a center field camera to steal signs during the team's World Series championship run in 2017. All right, Ian, stealing signs has been a part of the game since its inception. Uh, so how big is this news to Major League Baseball? I think it's big news to Major League Baseball in that they want to tamp down on any use of technology or outside equipment to steal signs. We didn't get a chance to, to talk about it, but I was kind of rolling my eyes during the uh, – ALCS when the Yankees were accusing the Astros of whistling from the dugout uh, to relay uh, <laughs> stolen signs. But uh, when you're talking about using cameras and TV screens, and supposedly the system that was set up, they used uh, the center field camera. I don't know if it's the standard camera that you see on television. Then there was a, a, a TV screen in the dugout tunnel. So they would, you know, from the camera, they would see the catcher's sign. And then uh, from that dugout tunnel, Reportedly, uh, really, according to Mike Fires, they would hit a trash can, uh, and that noise would signal to the batter at the plate whether or not an off-speed pitch was coming. Oh my God, are you kidding? I mean, this is the thing that gets me. This is like this is like Barry Bonds going on steroids. It's like you're already the best team in Major League Baseball, Houston. Do you really need to cheat? To me, that was kind of the, the first thing that popped to my mind. Is like, why do they even need to do that? Um, Ian, and, and in terms of discipline, how do you think baseball will respond? Well, I, also, I should say this system, even though, you know, if it's really loud in the stadium, uh, the batter's not necessarily going to hear that trash can getting hit from the dugout. And this is something that the Astros could only do at home. So the Astros, when they won the World Series in 2017, you know, they had to go on the road and win uh, at uh, Chavez Ravine to beat the Dodgers. So it may have given them an advantage, but it's uh, not not the advantage. Uh, you know, you made the comparison to steroids. I, I don't know if it's uh, quite as uh, competitive an advantage. Uh, but uh, as far as penalties, you know, I'm not sure how much baseball uh, can really do. Uh, you know, they're going to shake their fists and, and try to get uh, tough about this. But uh, when the Red Sox were nailed for this two years ago, you know, you might remember, uh, you know, they, they were, uh, I think, a similar thing you know, with camera, and then it was relayed to a trainer in, uh, in the clubhouse, and then they would send a message to an Apple Watch in the dugout. The Red Sox were fined, so I think that's certainly what we're looking at with the Astros. But the real question, uh, as far as penalties, is how far up does this go? You know, was, was the front office involved in Houston? Was ownership on this? And uh, how many other teams are doing this? Like, you know, the Astros are being singled out, but it's probably because of their success uh, over the past few years, just as much as them doing that something that other teams uh, aren't doing. But, you know, if a certain individual is found to, to be really responsible for this, fines or maybe even a firing could be in order um and again if this really goes far up the chain maybe you're looking at taking away draft picks or, or something like yeah. that you, you don't think uh aj hinch had any idea that this was going on the astros manager no i mean according to fires nobody uh knew about this uh on the coaching staff i i find that a little bit hard to believe that right. aj hinch would be completely ignorant of this <laughs> but i mean maybe he was just you know covering his ears covering his eyes covering his mouth right yeah but it's hard to believe that aj hinch wouldn't at least have some passing knowledge of this going on 
Oh, boy. Well, technology allows for many more ways of cheating these days. You know, what happened to the old-fashioned way of cheating? Runner on second place, get a double, and then you can tell your bat, your, your teammate at bat, you know, which, which pitch is coming. Um, like they used to do it, you know, back in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, stealing signs isn't a bad thing, right? I mean, it's, it's almost like you're not trying if you're not trying to steal signs. But, yeah, again, we're talking about the use of outside devices yeah, and technology here. That's what gets me on all of this. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the human element to it. Uh, is Ian Cal- Castleberry joins the wise guys for talking Major League Baseball headlines presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. Well, congrats to a former UNC Asheville uh, baseball coach, Mike Schilt um, of the Cardinals. He was named National League Manager of the Year uh, in the in the American League. It was Rocco Baldelli of the, uh, the Twins. That just sounds like some type of new champagne out. Um, they take home Manager <laughs> of the Year awards in their respective leagues. You like those picks, Ian? Well, certainly in the American League, uh, Rocco Baldelli, I mean, the Twins went from 78 wins in in 2018 to 101 wins uh this season so usually a big turnaround like that is uh, you know sure to get a manager of the year award uh i mean i think aaron boone certainly uh deserved consideration uh, he finished second kevin cash i mean he could probably win this award every year right with the uh, lineups that the uh tampa bay rays uh, have to put out there but uh yeah i i i, uh, I like uh the baldelli pick uh, in the National League, Mike Schilt, uh, the Cardinals improved from 88 to 91 wins uh, in a division that I don't think the, the Cardinals uh, were expected to win. He certainly changed the culture uh, in that Cardinals clubhouse. Uh, they, we especially saw that uh, in the postseason, uh, you know, beating a Braves team that, uh, you know, in terms of talent uh, overall, uh, St. Louis probably had no business winning that series. Uh, this is a regular season award, but I think uh, uh, Schilt uh, is a deserving winner. Myself, if I was voting, I think I would have voted for Dave Martinez. Uh, you know, that's easy to say with the Nationals winning the World Series, but even during the regular season, you know, the Nationals were 19 and 31, and he really figured out how to make the uh, the most out of his pitching staff uh, with a bullpen he didn't trust, and got them uh, to the postseason, uh, winning a wild card. And uh, we should point out, it looks like the the Cards have re-signed Adam Wainwright for another year. Ian, good. I think that's a good call there. Obviously, they still think he's got something still in the tank. Yeah, he especially showed that uh, in the postseason, a good veteran uh, who can anchor that pitching staff uh, lead what's still a relatively young uh, rotation. He's not a number one starter anymore, but he could still be a very solid middle to uh, back of the rotation starter. One more year deserves, certainly deserves to finish his career uh, in a Cardinals uniform. Uh, all right, Ian, well, let's let's move on because there's lots still to get to. Speaking of managers, I um, want to spend some time on this one. Uh, the Giants hire former uh, Phillies manager Gabe Kapler. Okay. Um, seeing that, uh, you know, the Phillies underperformed under Kapler's watch, I, I raised an eyebrow upon reading this hiring in the Bay Area. So, Ian, what do you think the Giants see in Gabe Kapler? Uh, for one thing, is there's a prior relationship there. Uh, Farhan Zaidi. The team president or president of baseball operations, uh, you know, he's got a title, something like that. He uh, worked with Gabe Kapler uh, when they were both with the Dodgers. Kapler, uh, before he became the Phillies manager, was the Dodgers director of player development for three years. So uh, there is some familiarity there between Farhan Zaidi uh, and Gabe Kapler. I, I think uh, that was the ultimate tip in his favor in Zaidi's mind. Uh, also, the fact that he does have some major league managing experience. Uh, yes, the Phillies were disappointing uh, in his two seasons uh, as manager, but he does have major league experience, which uh, the other two candidates, the Giants, uh, interviewed Joe Espada, who I thought for sure was going to get a manager's job, but it looks like he's not going to, and raised bench coach uh, Matt Quattrero. I think uh, Kepler, he's a good communicator. He's really good with younger players. I believe he's bilingual. He can communicate uh, with the Latin players as well. And a California native, I think this is a good fit. I see some Giants fans on social media aren't really happy about the Kepler choice. I don't know if they're just a vocal minority because of Kepler's performance. Yeah. With the Phillies, but I think this is a good choice for the Giants. I, I mean, regardless, whoever was going to take over the the San Francisco Giants has big shoes to fill. Uh, you know, taking over for Bruce Bochy, one of the all time uh, great managers, uh, almost certain Hall of Famer. You know, eleventh all time uh, in wins with the uh, two thousand three won three World Series titles for the Giants. So anybody who's going to take over uh, was, was probably going to pay on comparison to Bruce Bochy. 
Yeah, no doubt about that. It's like the guy's pretty much earned legendary managerial status up in the Bay Area. And we always say, man, you don't want to be the guy that replaces the legend. You want to be the guy that replaces the guy that replaces the legend. But that did raise an eyebrow. So there's all right. So like in baseball, right? They they, they there's a comfort level with Gabe Kapler. Um, how do you see this this um, this new adventure for him compared to what went down in Philadelphia? Obviously, there, obviously there's some rebuilding to do in San Francisco. Yeah, I think um, you know he. Uh, this is something that Kepler uh, originally uh, was hired to do in Philadelphia, kind of rebuild uh, uh, with a young team. But you know, the, the plan kind of accelerated when ownership, you know, suddenly wanted to make a big push for guys like Jake Arrieta and especially Bryce Harper. Uh, maybe accelerated the plan uh, a year or two uh, ahead uh, of what uh, originally was the case when Kepler was hired. Um, I, I think that this could also be a case where Kapler learned from his experience uh, in those first two seasons and can apply that uh, to the Giants. From what I understand, uh, the Phillies general manager, Matt Klintak, did not want to fire Kapler. This was a decision by ownership. Now, Klintak, of course, you know, he hired Kapler, so he probably wants to see that through. But if uh, Klintak was willing to uh, bring back Kapler uh, for another season, I think that speaks highly of him. Uh, and uh, Farhan Zaidi also, in talking to the press yesterday, mentioned he got several unsolicited calls from people in the Phillies organization endorsing Kapler, and uh, th- that was uh, that weighed heavily in his favor as well. Wow. Okay. Well, he, he couldn't do it with Bryce Harper. He's going to have a lot less out in San Francisco, but I'm sure they're aware that it's not going to be turned around uh, overnight. As Ian Kalsberg joins the Wise Guys, presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. Ian, all right, who's your who are your picks to win the um, American League and National League Cy Young Awards? In the American League, you know, it's pretty tough. You have two Astros and Garrett Cole uh, and Justin Verlander both won 20 games, uh, 21 in Justin Verlander's case. Both of them struck out uh, 300 uh, batters. The other finalist, uh, Charlie Morton uh, from the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, a former Houston Astro, interestingly enough. But I think Garrett Cole uh, gets the nod here. Uh, just 326 strikeouts. He, he averaged almost 14 strikeouts per nine innings. Verlander pitched more innings, which uh, I, I think is something that it, sometimes isn't mentioned enough uh, in these awards categories like starting pitchers. I think the more innings you pitch, it certainly speaks highly as to how durable and dependable you are. But Garrett Cole, 20-5, and five, a 2.50 ERA, 326 strikeouts. I think he wins it in the American League. In the National League, this is interesting because uh, I think all three finalists actually shouldn't win this award. <laughs> Jacob deGrom, a 2-4-3 ERA, uh, a better one-loss record uh, than he had uh, last year when he won the American, uh, the National League Cy Young Award. Uh, Max Scherzer, 11-7, 2-9-2, missed uh, quite a few games uh, with injury. And then Hayujin Ryu, he only pitched uh, 183 innings but did uh, finish with a 2-3-2 ERA. Of those three, I think uh, I give it to DeGrom, because he has the most strikeouts, he pitched the most innings, Pia Bot up said no players untouchable this offseason. We're hearing Chris Bryant could be available. What are you hearing, Ian? Chris Bryant, yeah, is apparently on the trade block. Uh, as crazy as that sounds, uh, you know, he's the face of the franchise, as you mentioned, uh, on Monday. Somebody that uh, any other team uh, would seemingly build around. Uh, yet here are the Cubs talking about trading him. But I think uh, the Cubs look at Bryant as an asset that they could get a lot in return for. He's under two more years of club control. Uh, one, uh, he's uh, uh, eligible for arbitration next year, uh, set to be paid $18.5 million this year. Even though he fought injuries, uh, he still hit 31 home runs, hit 282. He plays left field, he plays third base, he plays right field. I think he's a much more tradable asset than somebody like uh, Javier Baez uh, or uh, even Anthony Rizzo, who uh, is under contract for two more seasons, but for $33 million, so a lot more expensive to, to uh, pay Anthony Rizzo than it would be uh, for Chris Bryant. Yeah, I can't see him getting rid of uh, of the Riz uh, for sure. We'll see how that one plays out. That's Ian Castleberry with the Wise Guys, my friend. Thank you so much. We'll look forward to uh, getting you back here tomorrow. Some NFL goodies. And be sure to follow Ian uh, on Facebook with Awful Announcing, also awfulannouncing.com. And be sure to um, check out the podcast by going uh, to all the different areas you can go to uh, to, to grab the uh, podcast. It's great stuff. He's one of the good ones. Ian, thanks so much, my friend. Hey, thank you so much, Pat. Those who have followed or listened to me for a while know that my baseball predictions are usually terrible. It's probably amazing that I was paid to write about baseball and I'm still asked for analysis on the radio. 
Hell, in the case of the National League Cy Young Award, the guy I would have voted for finished fifth in the balloting. Maybe I should have watched more baseball this year. Well, normally I like to include clips from movies or their trailer when I review them on the podcast. It breaks up you having to listen to my voice go on and on, and it provides a glimpse of the movie I'm talking about. But that's going to be a little tricky with reviewing Parasite because the film is in director Bong Joon-ho's native Korean and has subtitles. The person I saw this movie with didn't care for the subtitles, saying she was trying to read rather than watch what was happening on screen. But I think she's an outlier. I hope she is. We're past this now as a culture, right? We're okay with subtitles in movies and TV. I know there are probably some who aren't. But how many of us, some of who claim not to like subtitles, watch our streaming content with subtitles or closed captioning just in case we can't hear all of the dialogue? I feel like it's a bit difficult to explain what Parasite is about because part of the pleasure in watching it comes from how the story develops and progresses. One more mention for Neil Turritz here as I agree with what he and Ryan Beeman said when they talked about Parasite on their unduly noted podcast. Try not to read too much about this movie before seeing it. But I realize that's not very helpful if you need to know something about a movie before committing your time and money to it. Not everyone's going to see a movie just because they enjoy the director's work. For me, Bong Joon-ho's name on a film is enough to pull me in. Yet I know if I told, say, my mother and sister that he's the same guy who directed Mother, a film I don't think either of them have forgiven me for taking them to see, that would be a tough sell. My former podcast partner was actually defiantly ignorant about not bothering to care who made a movie he did or didn't like. But hey, why people decide to see a movie is a personal choice, which could be based on a variety of factors. Am I digressing? It feels like I'm digressing. One way to view Parasite is as sort of a heist movie. An impoverished family, the Kims, create a scheme to pull a devious caper on some unsuspecting wealthy counterparts, the Parks. But despite all of their meticulous, detailed planning, much of which preys on a savvy understanding of psychology, character flaws, and class ignorance, and disdain of economic inequality, not everything goes according to plan when outside factors are introduced. And once that happens, this movie goes bonkers in twisted, thoughtful, and darkly funny directions. It's unlike any movie you'll see this year, and I mean that in the best way possible. Social commentary has often been a major part of Bong Joon-ho's films, using genre as a delivery system to get his message across. Snowpiercer may be the most obvious, illustrating economic and social class struggle in a post-apocalyptic setting of the world's remaining population housed on a massive train circling around the earth. The wealthy and affluent populate the front of the train, and the further back you go, the worse it gets, ending with total poverty at the end of the train. Okja, with its giant pig, was a commentary on genetic breeding, animal farming, and abuse, and food sourcing. Mother, though this may be an oversimplification, is a crime procedural with definite things to say about criminal justice and how it treats the mentally ill. The amphibious creature in The Host, which is the first film of Bong's that I saw, was created by pollution in Seoul's Han River. I'm kicking myself for not having seen Memories of Murder, which I think was Bong's second film, while it was available on Netflix, by the way. His first movie, Barking Dogs Never Bite, is on Amazon Prime, though. I'd better get on that, just in case that disappears, too. Although if Bong gets some heavy Oscar buzz for Parasite, maybe his early filmography will become more available. I feel like I'm digressing again. Am I digressing? What Bong really taps into is not just the stark differences between economic classes here, some living the good life in beautiful houses with all kinds of hired help, versus those who have to scrape and fight for everything to get by. But he illustrates the disdain and resentment that result from those divisions. 
The rich, especially Mr. Park, look down on the poor, literally disliking the way they smell. While the poor see the rich as hopelessly simple, surprisingly naive, undeserving of their great fortune because they experience no struggle. That leaves them vulnerable to exploiting. For Mr. Kim, those feelings eventually manifest as deep bitterness. Yet some much less fortunate are also happy to have anything good trickle down to them, figuring it's at least one break in a tough life. The story here is more complicated than that, but that's what it ultimately comes down to, in my view. It's easier to sympathize with the Kims, but are the Parks really that bad, just because they have it so much easier? Parasite provides so much to think about as you're watching, and after you've seen it, staying with you like a great movie should. Five out of five stars for Parasite for me, it's one of the best movies of the year. It might be the best movie of 2019, depending on what's yet to come out. Prior to this, I would have said The Farewell was the best movie I've seen this year. Is it a coincidence that my two favorite movies of the year are Asian? I don't know. For one thing, The Farewell deals more with Asian culture, while Parasite explores more universal themes. But if any other movies are better than those two, the next couple of months, including early January, should be really exciting at the movies. I also have a bunch to catch up on from earlier this year, particularly the summer. Colin Kaepernick. You might remember him from such controversies as kneeling during the national anthem, which made him a pariah in the NFL. He hasn't played professional football for three years because no team wants to deal with the commotion it would cause. A couple of teams, like the Seattle Seahawks, have considered the possibility, though. Anyway, the NFL is letting him hold a workout for teams this weekend, which became the big story heading into week 11 of the season. Among the topics Pat Ryan, Mike Gore, and I also discuss are the terrible performance of Indianapolis Colts kicker Adam Vinatieri, the quarterback showdown between Houston's Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson, two of the NFL's brightest young stars, and the Pittsburgh Steelers versus Cleveland Browns clash on Thursday Night Football. Ian Castleberry uh, with the Wise Guys, and of course it's our NFL Gold Nuggets feature presented by David Creaseman and D.C. Creaseman Jewelers. Hey, Ian, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Woo, we're good. Michael's on a roll. Uh, we're killing it right now, and um, <laughs> we've got you, so life is good. Let, let's start first, guys. Colin Kaepernick is holding a workout for NFL teams this Saturday, but Ian, it doesn't seem like the NFL is, is, is helping him maximize the opportunity. No, I, I think you do have to call into question just how sincere an effort this is by the NFL. First and foremost, this workout is on a Saturday, which is usually a travel day for uh, NFL teams. You know, coaches are preparing their game plans for Sunday. Executives are traveling. Why wasn't this workout on a Tuesday, which is typically an off day for NFL teams and when workouts are, are scheduled, you know, uh, they can they can host players and not worry about practice or they can travel to sites and scout and watch workouts. So the fact that it's on, on a Saturday uh, immediately raises a red flag. Also, uh, Kaepernick wasn't told which teams will attend. Yeah. Uh, the teams that would attend were not announced. So Kaepernick's people have no idea, you know, like, will any notable executives or coaches be there? You know, maybe that would indicate how high the level of interest in Kaepernick is, say, if like the Panthers, for instance, uh, you know, sent uh, one of their top executives uh, to, to, to watch Kaepernick. And then also teams only had three days to decide, you know, when this uh, workout was announced, that only gave teams three days to decide whether or not to attend. So how sincere an effort is this? You know, is this just kind of to cover everybody? You know, the NFL saying, well, hey, you know, we had a workout and uh, nobody uh, showed any interest. And, and, you know, teams can go to these workouts and say, well, yeah, we worked out. Uh, we, we went to that workout, but we, we just don't think he's a good fit for us uh, at this time. I don't understand the NFL. I think this is cowardly of them. It's like they don't want anyone to know that, you know, this is going on and, and uh, which teams are, are interested in Kaepernick. I'm tired of this. Um, it, it just seems to me, Michael, like, uh, the NFL is almost embarrassed to even be, um, talking about a, a, a tryout for Kaepernick. And Ian's right. I mean, they are no help whatsoever in, in this. And they've, they keep Cap's people in the dark like that and Cap himself. 
doesn't sound right to me. They're just handing it poorly. I, I'm not sure how much interest there would be in Colin Kaepernick. I think, and you know, we can talk about all the controversy with him all you want, but I, I think Nate would just take its course if if he's not good enough. He, he you know he wouldn't be signed. But to just do these things to make it tougher petty. for him is it's just. It's if, if, if you don't want them in the league, you know you just you're just adding to the conspiracy theorist that, that this is what they're doing, and I don't I don't think you have to do that. I think you know give them give them the benefit you know you know to do the right thing, but have the trout on Tuesday when you're supposed to have it and stuff. And if he's good enough, someone will sign him. If he's if he's not, he's not. But don't you know just for a billion dollar organization, they sure do some stupid things. Boy, they 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 do, man. It's it's it. Yeah, uh, don't get me started. I I think that's just nuts. Be interested to get Shoop's take on this because I'll be throwing that question at him on Monday's show. Uh, Ian Castleberry with the Wise Guys, presented by DC Creaseman Jewelers. And uh, what do you say we go to uh, Indianapolis? Talk a little Colts there, Michael. Okay, uh, Adam Vinatieri. Um, should the uh, should the Colts got him? If Vinatieri was any other kicker in the league, Vinatieri has had a very accomplished career, and I think that's why he has not been cut. But you know, you're talking about a kicker who's missed six of 20 extra points this season. He's missed five of 19 field goals. You know, he's arguably cost the Colts two wins, missing it uh, against the Chargers. Uh, he had a big miss uh, in Week Nine against the Steelers. And even last week, uh, the fact that he missed an extra point meant that the Colts had to go for a touchdown at the end because they were down by four rather than three, and uh, the Colts ended up losing that game 16-12. to 12. So the, the Colts keep working out kickers. They worked out four this week, uh, including uh, Mike Nugent, a, a former NFL kicker. They worked out six kickers before week three. Uh, it sounds like Vinatieri has the support of all of his teammates, which is admirable and certainly speaks to Vinatieri's status and his accomplishments in the league. But, you know, at the very least, the kicker's not supposed to lose games for you. So you have to wonder uh, what the Colts are going to do here. Yeah. Do you think this is more uh, more about not finding the right kicker out there to replace Venetary than it is, like, confidence in Venetary, which I guess would roll into that if you can't find anyone better than him? Yeah, I wonder about that. I mean, all, all the kickers that they've brought in, you know, I mentioned Mike Nugent, but no other names really stand out. You figure the kickers who uh, can perform in the NFL are already uh, on NFL teams. And maybe, you know, Vinatieri, maybe he's really great in practice. And so the Colts are, you know, just shrugging their shoulders like, well, he makes all the kicks in practice. Why is he missing them in the games? Uh, it's a little bit baffling. Uh, and again, it's gratifying that he gets so much support from his coaches and teammates and and uh, executives. But again, if we weren't talking about Adam Vinatieri, I, I think uh, he would have been cut by now. He's what, 46? 46. Oh, my God. That's crazy, man. But it's funny. I mean, if they had someone who could come in and do a better job than Vinatieri, they would be there. But... There is no one. Yeah, you have to think so. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's probably what it comes down to, Pat, is that the, the level of kickers, the number of kickers that they've brought in, haven't done well enough where they think that any of those guys would be better than what they already have. Yeah, agreed. Uh, that's the only reason he's still sticking around, man. Meanwhile, like, can you imagine like a, a young kicker, like 24, 25 auditioning? He doesn't get, the, I, I lost to a, a 46 year old guy. Hey, Mike Nugent's got to be pushing 40. He's no young, young guy himself. Um, Ian Castleberry with the wise guys. Let's talk Antonio Brown guys. Not surprisingly said last week that he actually wants now to come back to the NFL after trashing it the week before and, of course, enrolling in um, uh, online courses at, what it was, at Central Michigan University. I mean, this dude, man, something ain't right up top. Uh, but anyway, Ian, uh, are, are, is there movement on the radar, or is, is that radar basically that screen blank? Yeah, I think that, uh, that screen's pretty blank. No dots uh, showing up on the radar. Antonio Brown, he, he is uh, releasing uh, cooking videos on YouTube, so maybe he has a future uh, as, as a TV chef down the line, I think you know most teams are going to wait until uh, to, to see what the NFL decides and whatever investigation or if there's still any legal matters, so, so nobody gets caught by surprise like the Patriots were. But if he was uh, ruled eligible to play and wasn't in any danger of suspension, yeah, I think there would be several teams that would be interested 
in Antonio Brown, uh, the Patriots. Uh, if, if, if he didn't burn any bridges with his comments about Robert Kraft, I think the Patriots could certainly still use him. The, the, the Jets, uh, I think the Ravens are, are really lacking uh, as much success as, they, as they've had. They're lacking kind of a game-breaking uh, receiver. The Kansas City Chiefs, uh, you know, they could use him as well. The Eagles, uh, there are several teams where he would be a great fit. Um, I forgot where I saw this. It was on Twitter, and I apologize. I can't give the person credit, but <laughs> somebody suggested that Antonio Brown should go to Colin Kaepernick's workout and catch passes. <laughs> better way uh, to get attention and, and you know and work out for uh, teams and scouts than uh, even Cap would be like, uh, "I'm good, dude. Thanks a lot, man. I've got a third grader <laughs> catching the passes for me." Oh my goodness. I agree. I just think NFL teams right now, you know, are, we talked to Shoop about this, like the difference between like a Josh Gordon and an Antonio Brown. And Shoop said the difference is, well, Josh Gordon certainly has his flaws and his issues. Uh, his teammates love him. He's a hard worker. He's really trying to make it happen that the guy has a disease. Um, teams keep giving him a chance because he is a hard worker and they know he's trying to make it happen. And he's had far more chances than Antonio Brown because Antonio Brown is basically at this point a nut job. I mean, in the last year, I don't know what has happened. Maybe he drank tea with mushrooms in it. I don't know. But it, teams don't want to deal with that kind of hassle, Mike. And and I think Antonio Brown, at least this year, it ain't happening. There's a story, I remember a story about a basketball coach named George Felton who was once the coach yeah. of South Carolina, very abrasive and stuff. And he got fired and. uh it was a little bit surprising he got fired, and someone was. You know, people were trying to point out, you know, what was it? It couldn't be Kentucky enough. Didn't do this, or didn't go to the NCAA tournament enough. And this one comment wrote, George Felton was fired because he was a jerk. <laughs> and I think this with Antonio Brown, he's a jerk. And it's you know, yeah, he's talented, and and trust me, teams will. And you know this, teams will take some shady characters if they think they'll help them win, get them over the top, get them in the playoffs, get them into the Super Bowl or something. They will take their chances on people. But this speaks volumes. <laughs> Antonio Brown, the issues that he brings, no one's taking a fireman. And it's still possible somebody could at some point. Yeah. I mean, it would, wouldn't it be amazing? And this is, I know, fantasy land here, but what if, what if the Raiders took him back? <laughs> In week twelve or something like that, that, that all right, all is forgiven. He's back with the Raiders. I think the stuff. Raiders are like, you know what? We seem to be doing pretty fine know, without Antonio know, but, Brown. But 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 uh, but and anything is possible in the NFL. And uh, but but I think that speaks. Like I said, I think it speaks volumes that nobody's interested in him. Uh, you want to ask you about the Miami Dolphins? Uh, you know, this tanking for Tua have, have, has all of a sudden hit a snag by winning two games in a row. And yeah, um, you know I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. Tanking very concerned. for Tua. Is that what I love? Yeah, this. tanking for Tua. It's like and, a fundraiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fitz Magic is uh, is performing his magic. It, uh, and I'm concerned as a Bills fan that the, the, the Bills have to go down there. Miami gave the Bills fits. You know, they were awful in the first couple of games early, but after that, you know, they would like they they gave Dallas fits for a half. They've played pretty hard the whole year. They're just not very talented, and the Fitz Magic will run out. Trust me, as a as a as a Bills fan, I've seen this uh, and it's happened, it happened other teams too it, it it goes good for a while then it runs out but i must say they're playing pretty hard right now yeah for a team that is supposedly tanking uh, whether it's for tua or ends up being a uh, joe burrow they, they uh they seem to have missed the memo i mean you know these these guys still want to play right and players still want to play they want to win uh, and to, to do less than that to throw out a team uh you know that that's incapable of competing, uh, even as you said, you know Miami doesn't have the talent to be an upper echelon team this year uh, in the NFL. But uh, you know you don't want to just throw a, a bunch of guys out there and have them get killed by you know, superior talent. So uh, the fact that, uh, that they're still competitive, I think, does speak to the, the fact that uh, players, you know, they want to win. They don't want to have a, a, a wasted effort out there. Uh, the Dolphins, by the way, are one of the teams supposedly uh, that are going to attend. Colin Kaepernick's workout. Uh, I don't know what the chances are of, of the Dolphins signing him when they already have uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh Rosen, and then uh, whoever, if the Dolphins do indeed get the number one draft pick, although uh, the Bengals are, are the current uh, leader in the clubhouse for the number one pick, if the Dolphins are really interested in, in getting into that uh, Kaepernick situation. Ian Castleberry presented by D.C. Creaseman Jewelers, our NFL Gold Nuggets feature uh, for this Thursday. Of course, uh, be ready. D.C.'s uh, waiting on you for your holiday uh, jewelry shopping. Ian, any other um, NFL um, headlines you're following for Week 11? 
I think a great matchup is uh, Ravens and Texans. Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson. Mm. I mean, you know, maybe this is going to be the Tom Brady and Peyton Manning of uh, the new era of the NFL. You know, the two of the top young quarterbacks in the NFL. The the Ravens and Texans are the top two teams in the AFC. I think that's going to be a fascinating matchup to watch. Uh, Lamar Jackson, just uh, a superstar type performer that we don't always see in the NFL right now. I mean, of course, we have plenty of quarterbacks who can throw the ball well, make big plays, but how many of them are as dynamic on the field, uh, being able to run the ball and make plays the way Lamar Jackson has? And Deshaun Watson, you know, it it continues to be uh, impressive uh, no matter how many times he he gets hit. It seems like uh, he still completes passes. I I think I saw it statistic that uh, he he has never lost by more than uh, when he's starting has never lost by more than a touchdown Uh, that almost doesn't seem possible but I I I saw that mentioned somewhere Um, two other storylines Eagles host the Patriots a rematch of Super Bowl from a couple years ago but this is a must win for the Eagles Uh, they're right in the the NFC race NFC East race, excuse me, uh, after the Cowboys lost last week. Uh, if the Eagles are able to beat the Patriots, they could be uh, in the driver's seat for the NFC East. And Nick Foles returning for the Jaguars. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, Gardner Minshew ha- has done a, a relatively good job since taking over after Foles was injured. But the Jaguars signed Foles to a four year contract, $88 million. You see why they want to see if Foles can play, uh, whether it's to be their starting quarterback or to, to, uh, gin up some trade interest in Foles. Although I don't think trading that contract is going to be easy. But uh, how will Nick Foles fare in his return, or uh, is he going to show that Gardner Minshew uh, is the future in Jacksonville? Guy, you can't argue with what Minshew did. I mean, forget the stash. I mean, I know everyone's all geeked on that down in Jacksonville around the league, but <laughs> the dude can play, man. I mean, he showed. and uh, He said it himself, like, you know, I've proven now I can play in the NFL. And quite frankly, I might have stuck with Minshew. I know the Jags were, what, 4-4. Four and four, um, when, But quite frankly, when Foles went down, I mean, he's, he's like Kyle Allen. He's just outperformed expectations. Uh, but Foles is a different story other than Cam. Foles was out before the season began. They spent $80 million on him. you got to see what he's, he's going to do. Um, Ian Castlebury, before we let you go, Thursday night football. This would be a good matchup. You know, it's always hit and miss on the on the excitement of Thursday night matchups, guys. But uh, Pittsburgh at Cleveland, great AFC North rivalry, uh, and a lot on the line for these two teams as you know, really fighting for a potential playoff berth. Yeah, the Steelers are uh, in the playoff race. They've uh, they're five and four right now. The Browns, uh, they're kind of in a situation where every game's a must win now uh, at three and six. The Steelers have won four straight, five out of six. They really seem to have turned it around. Uh, a credit to uh, Mike Tomlin. You know, if he was on the hot seat, I think the temperature has been turned way down yeah. there. Uh, I don't think he has anything uh, to worry about. Meanwhile, the Browns have lost four uh, of their last five. Unfortunately, they beat Mike's Bills last week. Uh, Bad officiating. Uh, <laughs> wow, imagine that. Mike Gore complaining about bad officiating. Uh, I'm stunned. Go ahead, Ian. Hey, that's, the, that's the theme of this NFL season. Uh, backup quarterbacks and bad officiating, I think, uh, are the two themes of this NFL season. Uh, the Steelers, uh, they're better against the pass than the run, so I think the Browns should feature Nick Chubb. Uh, heavily in their game plan. I think they should do that anyway. Uh, you know, Freddie Kitchens needs to give the ball to Nick Chubb and just uh, tell Baker Mayfield, okay, you know, manage the game. Just don't lose it. Don't do anything stupid. I, I don't know if their offense is set up that way, but Nick Chubb, I think, is clearly their best player uh, on offense. And, uh, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, five interceptions. Uh, he's, he's, uh, in the running for defensive player of the year after getting traded to the Steelers from the Dolphins. Is he going to continue that streak and uh, pick off Baker Mayfield uh, once or maybe even more than once in this game? And one more thing, James Conner returning for the Steelers. They really need him. The Steelers are 27th in the league uh, in rushing. Typically, he plays very well. Uh, he had uh, almost 300 yards rushing in two games against Cleveland last year. So Connor's uh, return uh, could be the tipping point for the Steelers tonight. Excellent stuff as always, Ian. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, my friend. And, uh, hey, enjoy the weekend, and we look forward to catching up with you on Monday. Lots to get to talking some Major League Baseball headlines. Thanks, bud.
All right. I appreciate it. It's so great talking to you guys. You guys as well. By the way, Ian, uh, follow Ian, by the way, awfulannouncing.com. You can like him on Facebook as well. And remember the podcast as well. Ian posts that on Facebook to boot. So, uh, hey, like Ian Castleberry, uh, friend Ian, and uh, it's great stuff as always. Appreciate you, buddy. Uh, I forgot to mention that I want the Detroit Lions to sign Colin Kaepernick. No, I don't think it'll happen. Coach Matt Patricia won't want the distraction of the media circus it creates. And team owner Martha Ford, well, I don't think it would align with her politics. But maybe that wouldn't matter to her. I don't know. But maybe Jeff Driscoll will be okay filling in for Matthew Stafford. I sure think Kaepernick would be better, but he also hasn't played for three years. So maybe Driscoll is better now. Okay, that's the podcast. We'll cover more pop culture next time around as I continue my battle with scheduling and keeping this train running on time. I'm looking forward to seeing Ford versus Ferrari this weekend and checking out some of Disney+. Plus. I have an idea for an article related to that, which I hope I get to write. And I'm tired of hearing myself say this, so I'm guessing you are too, but I intend to get back on the Tuesday-Friday schedule that I want beginning next week. I mean, I can at least get it right for one week before the next week is short because of Thanksgiving, right? I don't know if we'll do a podcast then. If so, there will only be one. Maybe something to listen to while you're traveling. Until then, don't hit somebody in the head at your workplace, folks. Did you see what the Cleveland Browns' Miles Garrett did on Thursday Night Football against the Pittsburgh Steelers? During a scuffle with Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph, Garrett ripped off Rudolph's helmet and swung it at his head, hitting him. It was horrifying, but thankfully it didn't result in a serious injury because the open end of the helmet hit Rudolph's head. Well, he tackled Rudolph. Rudolph didn't like the way that he was tackled. Oh, was, gosh. Man. Oh, man. Oh. Oh, my goodness. But still, Garrett swung a heavy object at someone's head. Wow. If that had happened anywhere besides a pro football field, Garrett probably would have been arrested and spent the night in jail. The NFL will certainly suspend him, but maybe there will be some legal consequences too. News on that will probably have come out by the time you listen to this. Hey, let's be careful on Again, wow. Thank you for listening, and let's catch up next week. <laughs>